0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. So, we've seen, I mean, I've just been away on holiday for a couple of weeks, and i um, my son got married in Mallorca, it was a fantastic time. And, but then I'd, I'd kind of wake up in the morning in this lovely villa and uh, I'd kind of do my Bible reading with Zoe, have a little prayer together. And then it's like, next thing I do, BBC News. And it's like, oh, no way. And then, oh, no way. It's been these things one after the other. You know, We've had so many things recently, so, morning, so many mornings I've woken up. And actually, we're not used to it here in the West. There are places around the world where the grim reality is what it is. You know, people don't expect safety and an easy life. And they don't expect to live without the fear of terror, etc. That's their reality. But it, it shocks us because we, you know, certainly my generation didn't have that kind of thing going on. I know there's a generation that's coming up now who basically, they're not, they're shocked when terrible things happen, but they're not surprised because they've lived in you know since 9 That's all they've known. One thing after another, after another, more and more disasters, and each one seems to be worse and worse. But you know, for somebody like me, I'm, I'm still shocked. I'm still surprised. I'm still like, wow, how can this be happening? How many terrible things can happen? How did this happen? So we can put up the first slide on this because you know this was the. Uh, this niece incident this this week, this atrocity. And um, how did it happen? And I wanted to address it tonight. I, I decided... in a week had a couple of thoughts and ideas about it i was wrestling stuff through with god and praying about it and i thought i bet there's other people too that are are trying to do this and it's a you know we don't want to just brush over it we don't want to just pretend nothing's happened we want to be able to seriously you know pray and look at this and and say well what can we say that makes any sense out of such terror and such horrible things what can we what can we begin to to think about it um you know there's been one after the other orlando and then there's just been turkey and then there's you know baghdad we don't we don't report these things in lots of other countries it's ones that get closer to home that get most reports syria just ongoing horror after horror and uh, but i think this nice thing just got me this week really really did and um you know, because I've sat there. I think that's part of it too. I've sat on that place and sat there with Zoe. We've got mission partners who are in Nice, and we've gone out and visited them, and I've preached in a church there in Nice. And so, you know, I've sat on that beautiful promenade d'ongles and looked out at the sea, and and you know, so I, I'm like, I can picture it in my mind, and then and then don't want to picture that. Uh, how can it happen? And the underlying question, if I dare to ask it, and some of us do, is why didn't God stop it? I, I, I go on Twitter, I tweeted the other day. Um, now, as I started to read and look at the reports about this happening, the policeman takes over from the pastor inside of me and I start more to call out for justice than for grace. Just being honest about it. I'm like, get him, God. I don't want anything good. I don't want any grace to come to a man who's capable of doing that kind of a thing. Just, just being honest. And I think it's all right to be honest with God. And I'm like, God, why didn't you deal with him before this happened or during it? Or, or you know, why didn't you send a thunderbolt or something? Because, you know, I know a guy who's a pastor in Australia really good guy who recently was out playing with his kids and a lightning bolt came from heaven and killed him so why couldn't you know did you miss fire why couldn't you have got him instead and i start to you know why do you even allow this evil to continue to exist why doesn't god just get rid of it if i was in charge of the world that's what i started to think you know and if god is So good. If God is good and all-powerful and all-good, then how come this happened? If God is good, how come this happened? And the branch of theology that this comes from is called theodicy. Two parts to the word theo, obviously God, and then the other part is to do with uh, the Greek word for, for righteousness and justice combined. So it's like how if there's God... And he's right and he's just. How do those things sit together with the evil that takes place in the world that we have to deal with and we also see too. And the famous philosopher David Hume in his Dialogues Concerning Natural Religion summed it up like this. If God is willing to prevent evil but not able, then he's impotent. And is he able but not willing, then he's malevolent. He's evil. Um, And tonight I just want to Briefly look at this huge subject, and what we're looking at today, tonight is really looking at the problem that we call it of of moral evil, rather than of natural evil, because there's kind of two branches to this. And natural evil is like earthquakes and um, tsunamis and those kind of things, whereas moral evil is what we're going to look at tonight. And the fact is, any religion or any philosophy has to come up with a solution to this question, an answer to the question, if God is good, why do bad things happen? Or as we're putting it tonight, if God is good, why is the world so bad? Now, in the old days, the Greeks, the Romans, etc., they had the, the pantheon of gods. And sometimes... You know, they would fight and sometimes people would get caught up in the fight in some way. And um, and sometimes the, the, the gods were good and sometimes the gods were bad. But nobody really knew what a god was going to do because they were like a bit crazy in all kinds of ways. And there was no telling what was going to happen with them. And in some ways, that's a bit like lots of... Um, religious systems where you have lots and lots of different gods where you have a pantheon so that's true in in some ways in in hinduism etc lots of eastern religions where they end up basically saying we don't know what's going to happen there's so many gods anyway and, and half the time the gods aren't really interested in what's going on down here they're interested in themselves and it's just bad karma and it will all come round again hopefully better next time muslims answer i'm giving very brief synopsis here muslims answer well everything is actually part of the will of god it, inshallah it's all to do with the will of god and who really knows the will of god apart from god apart from allah it isn't good it isn't bad it just is we don't even know whether something's good or whether something's bad ultimately only god knows only god can decide that There's um, a school of kind of Christian thought. I hesitate to call it Christianity really in some ways, but it's called deism. And that's like an old school kind of Christian view of, a kind of liberal view of God. And close to it, but not quite there, you get a more modern version of it, which you can call process theology or even open theism which basically has this idea that God made everything. He started it all in the first place, but now he's gone and left it all to sort itself out without any interference. Um, I've got a funny cartoon. I might as well show it you now at this point. You've got God there making a snake, saying, boy, these things are a cinch. Just making a snake. I like that. Anyway, can you see it? <laughs> That's about all I can do with play so, so God makes stuff, puts it down, walks away. And then he hopes, he's given it an idea of a good future and it hopes that the, cre- the creation makes the wise and right choices. But if he doesn't, he's not going to get involved. Don't expect a miracle. Don't expect an intervention. Judaism, these days, not Old Testament. We're not talking about Old Testament. We're talking about a modern view of judaism these days would be that god is actually not all powerful dr harold kushner wrote a famous book called when bad things happen to good people and he said he didn't know whether or not god was god was all good or whether god was all powerful but the only thing that he ultimately knew is that when we cry god does too that was about it that was the amount of comfort he was able to give And of course, some people look at what happens when terrorists strike and they say, well, religion is the problem. Have you seen that on your Facebook at all this week? I've seen that an awful lot this week. And, um, you know, but actually that isn't the answer too because that's a totally false premise to say that it was religion that causes all of this, etc. Because actually, this isn't even just a religious uh, problem. It's a human problem, whether or not you are religious or not. Before I was a believer, I still lived in a world where a man would stab a guy he didn't even know in the pub in the face for a laugh. And then I had to deal with that and make sense of how that kind of evil could happen without there being a God in the equation. And I didn't make sense of it. I couldn't make sense of it. It didn't help that there was no God for me to be able to work that out. The atheist Bertrand Russell said, he ended up saying, the bad apples in the bunch just prove that all the apples are bad and should be thrown out. And as we're going to see, that's very much opposed to what Jesus said. So you have a choice whether you can go with somebody like that Or go with Jesus. Richard Dawkins said this. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe had precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. So there's no evil and there's no good. And actually, in some ways, if there is no God, then he's right, ultimately. Because who are you to say that this is evil or this is good? What's the reference point for that, unless there's a God? We just decide. And if it really is a random chance universe that just caused it all the nature is red in tooth and claw and it just then survival of the fittest then actually what's going to stop the fittest and from driving a truck along a load of old people and children if they want to do that in order to get what they want so thanks Richard for sharing something so encouraging it's interesting now the atheists get very angry at a god that they say isn't there So Richard Dawkins' solution doesn't help me very much. In fact, none of them have any power to, confront, to comfort those who mourn. And a sociologist called Peter Berger said, we have to come up with a solution. Everybody does. Otherwise, we'd basically crack up. Which is one of the reasons why so many people are. Everybody has to find meaning somehow in the middle of all of this. This is one of the reasons why the world is so hopeless and fearful right now. People are still trying to figure it all out, and they can't, and they won't. So how can God be good when the world is so bad? And of course, denying the evil in the world doesn't make it go away. And I do believe that there's evil in this world. I've seen a lot of it. And the Bible never denies it or attempts to gloss over it. And I also believe that God is always good and that our God has lost none of his power. And that's the reason tonight, because I believe in that God, that I can ask him my questions too. And when I finish with my inadequate words, I'm going to invite you to connect with the Holy Spirit and ask him to come because he's the comforter and to him to speak into your heart and that you would receive what he's got to give you and the words that he's got to give you tonight too. And what I find actually is that the Bible doesn't try and defend God or give a a definitive here is why answer. In fact, on various pages of the Bible, as I look through, I can read the cries and psalms of believers themselves crying out to God and saying, why? Why is this happening? And how long, O Lord, is this going to go on for? And God doesn't say, oh, let's rip that page out of the Bible. We're not having that kind of talk around here. He He doesn't disallow those honest, heartfelt questions that we've got. Even those protests that we've got. Read through the book of Job sometime. And you'll see that. Hard questions, no easy answers. But there are answers. There are some answers. And I mean, I think... I'm never going to scratch the surface of this, like I said, but I'm in good company with Dr. Billy Graham, who I read has said many times he's been asked the question, why does God permit evil? And he said he has never answered the question fully to his own satisfaction. So if he can't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. But as I read the Bible, I see the whole sweep of the story... Is that God is good, that he made a good world, but our decisions to run it our way have instead led it to being broken. It's a broken world. And if you break it, it doesn't work the same as the way it should have done at the beginning. And if you break it, don't blame the manufacturer. But you can go to him for help with it. Years ago, I was confronted by these kind of questions. saw my first dead body when I was 16 and a half in the police cadet. So it was a woman who'd committed suicide by throwing herself in front of a train. I saw some very bad things. Saw I went to a house where I was through the door and a woman had, well, the daughter, 14 years of age, killed the mum, stabbed her. But the reason it turned out that she did that was because the mum was trying to, petrol on and set fire to all of the younger children. I used to use those kind of things as my smokescreen question before I was a believer. I was like, well, if God is good, how come this happened and how come that happened and why doesn't God stop that and all of that? And and maybe there's somebody here today. Maybe that's the kind of thing that you say or, or you've had other people say to you. My deflector, if you like. But you know what? My smokescreen, my deflector, it didn't make anything better. It didn't deal with the issue at all. There being no God or there being a God who is powerless or cruel or indifferent doesn't change the fact of evil or help you to cope with it any better. It just leaves you alone, empty, without hope, in a random chance universe. Get over it. When the kids were little, I think Hannah had just started at nursery around that time, and the Dunblane Massacre happened. A guy called Thomas Hamilton turned up at a primary school. He prepared himself. He had two Magnum guns and two Browning pistols and he killed 16 children, and um, then he killed himself. And it's the same kind of spirit. It's the same kind of unimaginable hatred, irrational, horrible. I can't get my head round it. Thinking, did you get that this week? I can't get my head round how anybody could drive that truck down there. I, I just can't figure it. Innocent people. And. If you remember, if you are around then during that time, there was a massive outcry. And thank God we live in a country where we were sensible enough to change and enforce strict gun laws as a result of school shootings like that, rather than just crying about it on TV and saying, isn't it terrible, and holding a prayer vigil. And during that time, I just, uh, the vicar, when I came to that church, had said, I'm going to be here for ages, I'm never going to leave, etc. And then he left. So I ended up in charge of the church for a while. And this was during this time. And I was supposed to preach that Sunday when this Dunblane thing happened and everybody was all over the place. And, and what were they going to do? What was I supposed to say about it? And it was one of those times when actually, if you're going to be responsible, you can't just do what you were going to do. You have to address something massive like that. There's obviously so much in people's minds. If you, uh, you know, genuinely receptive. And I'm like, I don't know why you know what I'm going to say. What am I going to say? This is terrible. It's just terrible. What am I going to say? And then a couple of days before the Sunday, I'm just reading through my Bible readings and I came to Matthew 13. This is why it's good to read your Bible every day, not just to read the newspaper or the internet every day. If you do that, you'll have one kind of life. You'll have one kind of thought processes. It won't be the same as if you're somebody who reads your Bible every day. And I'm just reading through my readings, my daily readings. I read about four or five chapters a day, every day. That's what I do, me and Zoe, just go through that. And I happen to be reading, in the course of the reading, not because I was looking for anything in particular, Matthew chapter 13. And I found there, in that crisis moment, words from the one who came into the world when it was as bad as could it could possibly be. The one who made it in the first place who then stepped into it to lay down his life for it and to rescue it. These words in this parable of Jesus. It's a parable, it's a story because sometimes stories are a lot better than arguments or philosophies. Sometimes a story, a picture explains far better. So this isn't a philosophical argument by God, by Jesus. This is an attempt to defend the existence of God. It's a story that helps me, especially with this issue of moral evil. But, but it also actually helps with the problem of natural evil because basically this, it's going to talk about the land and the field and what happens and how that makes a difference in the whole of the field, not just the crops. But it's, a, it's like this example. It's a metaphor I love metaphors. I love pictures. Zoe hates it. I'm like, we'll have an argument over something and I'll say, well, it's a bit like this. And she say, no, it's not a bit like this. It's just what it is. Stop saying it's like that. It's not like anything. It just is what it is. Anyway, turns out, I'm in good company because Jesus liked metaphors and parables. And She's not here to be able to tell me. Uh Oh, Zoe, Hannah's written it down. Okay. So... Jesus says, you know what? The disciples might get this, but not everybody will. That's what he, he sets this up with. And Jesus lived in an agrarian society, so he speaks their language and he takes us to a farm so that we can understand the world and what's wrong with it and what happened and what's going to happen. And in Matthew 13, he says this, starting at 23. I'm reading from the message. He told another story. God's kingdom is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field that night while his hired men were asleep his enemies sowed thistles all through the wheat and slipped away before dawn now when Jesus talks about weeds here he's not talking about harmless little you know dandelions or something this scholars reckon is a thing called it's either tears or darnel which is like a poisonous seed it looks a lot like wheat but it won't feed your family In fact, if it gets mixed in with the wheat and you mix it in together with the wheat, it could ruin what you're trying to bake and make everybody really ill. So the crop is in danger here of being destroyed. It's a deliberate act of sabotage to ruin the harvest that the farmer wants. When the first green shoots appeared and the grain began to form, the thistle showed up too. The farmhands came to the farmer and said, Master, that was clean seed you planted, wasn't it? Where did these thistles come from? He answered, an enemy did this. Say, an enemy did this. An enemy did this. Say it again. An enemy did this. The, farm ha- the farmhands asked, should we weed out the thistles? No, he said, if you weed out the thistles, you'll pull up the wheat too. Let them grow together until harvest time. Then I'll instruct the harvesters to pull up the thistles and tie them in bundles for the fire. Then gather the wheat and put it in the barn. Now, some of the parables of Jesus, you've got to try and work it out yourself. You've got to you know, decide, well, this means this, and this means that, and sometimes he doesn't even tell us. But with this one, the good news is the disciples are thick like you and me, and they don't work out what he means, and they come to Jesus with their question, and he, asks, he answers them. He tells them exactly what this means, so we don't have to guess. If, you know, If you didn't get what that means straight off, don't worry about it. You're in good company because the disciples didn't know what it meant either. So he tells us, his disciples came in and said, explain to us that story of the thistles in the field. So he explained, the farmer who sows the pure seed is the son of man. Who would the son of man be? Jesus. Jesus. So this is Jesus specifically. This isn't just God generally. Jesus is saying, I'm talking about me here. I am that farmer the field is the world some people have misinterpreted this and they've used it I've read stuff where basically they said it, this is like there's good people and bad people and true believers and unbelievers in the church but this isn't about the church he says the field is the the world, the world that big wide world out there the pure seeds are the subjects of the kingdom who's the subjects of the kingdom we are we are the if you if you have subjected yourself to the king if you said i want the king to be my king i'm going to ask, ask him to rule then you are a subject of the king the thistles are subjects of the devil and the enemy who sows them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age the curtain of history the harvest hands are angels The picture of thistles pulled up and burned is a scene from the final act. The son of man will send his angels, weed out the thistles from his kingdom, pitch them in the trash and be done with them. They're going to complain to high heaven, but nobody's going to listen. At the same time, ripe holy lives will mature and adorn the kingdom of their father. Are you listening to this? Really listening. Now, let's just reiterate. The field is the world. This big rock that we're on, (laughs) tilted at 66 degrees, made just the right size for an atmosphere to exist, located just the right distance from the sun for life to exist so that we don't either freeze or frazzle, rotating at 67,000 miles per hour. So, well, I don't know, sometimes I feel dizzy, but... (laughs) With a moon the perfect distance away so that the oceans... Don't stagnate or spill over onto the continents. God made the world. It isn't an accident. It isn't just by chance. God made it. It's his field. But there are two sowers. You've got to get this. I've got to get this. There are two sowers. Now, if that sounds simplistic to you in terms of a problem of evil way of sorting it out, I understand that, but I'll trade Jesus' simple answer for your complicated one any day of the week. One sower sows good seed, the other sows weeds, and it looks like wheat. All the time it's growing up, together with it. And the servants wake up one morning, and they look out, and they see the mess that's now in the field wasn't there yesterday suddenly it's there it's taken over all this horrible stuff's taken over and they're like you and me oh, what happened how can this happen how did this happen and this what they do here's what they do they question the farmer first of all here's the dangerous bit you know it's what they said it's what they say in this king, new king james version when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? It's like, I thought you were good. That's really what they're saying, isn't it? I thought, I thought you were in charge. I thought you only did the good. What's going on here? Didn't you sow good seed in your field? How can it happen? Answer, an enemy did this an enemy did this, an enemy did this, I remember when I read that, around that time of the dumb blame thing, and I was like, how can this happen, how can something so awful happen, how could somebody do this, how can the world be so broken and so messed up, and yet I still believe in a God who's good, how can I speak to people on a Sunday coming up soon about a God who is still good, when there's so many terrible things happen in the world like this, how can I, and I heard this Word that has since then been a revelation to me and I've heard it so many times since when I've opened up the paper or or I've heard about a personal pastoral situation that somebody's happened to something, it's just come right out of there. I'm like, how did that happen? An enemy did this. We've got an enemy. What's the seed? Sometimes in the Bible, the seed is the word of God itself. In the parable just before it, seed is the word of God. But what is it here? It's you and me. That's what it says. You and me. If you say you're a Christ follower tonight, if you've bowed your knee, if you're a subject of the King, if you've submitted yourself to Jesus, but not everybody is. That's another thing we have to come to terms with from this. We don't like to think anybody's bad. You have to do something really, really, really bad in our culture to ever be put in the bad camp, don't you? Nobody's really bad. We don't ever think of anybody as being a bad person. Certainly never think of ourselves as being a bad person. We'd never really get comfortable. You'd have to be really bad. You'd have to do the kind of thing that somebody did in Nice to be able to qualify in most of our Western liberal minds to be able to be tagged with the thing that Jesus tags people with here, the label he puts on people here. Those who belong to the evil one. Wow. Are subjects of the evil one. I think I'm probably more in trouble most of the time if I was to ascribe something to God That really wasn't God, than if I ascribe something to the devil that wasn't really the devil. Do you know know what I mean? And the big problem, the major question that you and I need to resolve tonight, and every time you hear somebody dies or somebody kills, is not if God is good, why is the world so bad? The bigger question that you and I have to address a lot in this world is not one word. It's, it's not one, it's one. word. It's not one. It's not one sentence. It's, it's, the, it's the bigger word. There is if. That's what the enemy wants you to concentrate on. If he's done that, he's happy to sow that seed. And let it run and let it grow bigger and bigger and play havoc with your faith and with your life. It's a variation on the old lie that Adam was told in another field, together with Eve, in a place called Eden. If God is good, is is what's behind that same old question. So we know bad things happen and we know bad things will happen. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. That's not in question. Here's the question. Is God good? Sorry? Is God good? I've got to keep telling myself that. Do you believe God is good? Do you know God is good? We have to declare it. Now, this isn't to say we won't have our doubts. I have my doubts. But the question is, do you let your doubts have you? Is God good? How big is the if in your life? See, if you let the if get bigger, your God gets smaller every time the world gets better. is good all the time all the time God is good one day God will remove all evil he will deal with all pain and injustice Jesus hates the suffering that they cause and he's going to stop it God is good and he wants justice to be done and he wants people to be protected and the innocent to live in safety and peace and joy and one day Jesus assures us here the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom until then we're living in a messy messy field And I might want to judge and deal with and punish those who I think are evil now, but it's just not that easy. And if I take my ham-fisted scythe to the world sooner than he is going to, I'm just going to create an awful lot more mess. I do a terrible job of it. It's hard for me to tell the difference sometimes. Because the world's very complicated. Anybody feel like the world got a little bit more complicated recently? Do you think you've got all the right answers? I know I haven't. It's hard to separate it out. Because it's complicated. It's messed up. It's mixed up. It's intertwined. And the truth is, actually, I'm not proud of this, but if you were to look at me at various points in my life, and times in my life, there's been times when I've been a lot more like weeds than wheat. And I would say, if you came at me with the scythe in those moments, no, no, please, please, I need grace. I need time. I need help. I, need, I don't need judgment. I need, I need grace. And that's what God gives me at the cross of Calvary. And that's what he gives you too. And when I start to cry out for God to come with judgment today, you know what he says? He's already said it. 2 Peter 3.9. With God one day is as good as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. God isn't late with his promise of some measure lateness. He's restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. Can we put that one on? He's giving everyone space and time to change. Space and time to change. Aren't you, aren't you grateful God gave you space and time to change? I'm so grateful he's given me that he keeps on giving me more and more space more and more time to change Jesus made a way and this is a miracle for a weed like me to become wheat it's called grace he he could have sent a thunderbolt he sent the rain of his goodness instead because he's always good Even when I was bad, he gave me love, 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 more love. He's put me somewhere, he put me somewhere where I could hear a message like you're hearing tonight about a God who loves me like that no matter what so that I could then hear that message and respond and say yes and ask for him to change me in all the ways that he needs to change me. And at the end, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to pray that with me too and say, God, change me in all those areas, you need to change me and make any weediness in me. become wheat instead. Do you know what grabbed me again when I read this, this again this week? It says this, the servants woke up. This is what it is. It's like they woke up and they saw what was going on. And that more than anything else gave me hope for change for the world. Because in dark times like this, this week, these actually can be wake up calls. About how brief and how precious life really is and how there really is good and there really is evil and God really is at work in the world but there's also an enemy. And these kind of things wake me up to those kind of realities and they make me want to resist the devil more fully and pray harder and sacrifice and live fully for the kingdom of God and not just to be hoodwinked by the kingdoms of this world and just live for this field. I was in the USA not long after 9-11 and they said there's problems there straight after 9-11 for weeks and weeks. You know what it was? Too many people coming to church everybody the car parks were full everybody was coming to church for weeks and weeks and everybody was asking big questions like they'd never really asked before about the delicate nature of life on earth and the purpose and direction of their lives and maybe they started to think about making some changes as they came to God and pastor said you know just about that time for weeks and weeks and weeks there were loads of people coming to church but not for months and months not for years and years because the moment came the wake-up moment came But what did they do? They went straight back to sleep. How do we stop that happening? Churchill said this. Men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. How do you stop that being true of you and me? Do something. In these moments of clarity. Do something. Don't just feel it. Do something. Because feeling it doesn't change anything. Feeling awful about it doesn't change anything. Do something. I don't know what to, I'm going to ask you to do, but God will tell you what to do. Take action. Do something different this week. Don't miss the moment. I was coming through the airport this week, and it's like, you know, I thought about it, if you're flying on a multi-leg journey, you know, where you've got one jet and another jet. Each jet will take you to the next place, but only if you make the connection. If you don't make the connection, you're not going anywhere. So many times we miss where God wants to take us in the spiritual, because we don't do what we're meant to do in the physical. We just go back as if we never knew. But if God put a question in you or God put a fire in you or God put a desire in you, a new resolve or a determination or a destination or an enthusiasm this week to work and live more fully for him in some way in this great big messy field to roll up your sleeves and get involved more with him where there's still so much need, so much pain, so much hurt, so many grieving, so much fear, so much confusion. Please do something. Sign up for something. Write something ask God, say, God, you're good. I want to work for you in the world. He'll show you where he wants you to work and what he wants you to do. God is good. Amen? God is good. The world is often bad, but don't just leave here having thought about it. Wake up and do something about it. Don't just go out feeling different about it. Wake up and do something about it. Maybe get baptized next week if you've not already had that. Maybe that's your next step. I don't know what it is, but don't just go out feeling different. Wake up and do something. Get up earlier and pray. It's so important in the world right now. We have more people praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. Stay up longer, serve more. Gandhi said, Be the change you want to see in the world. I love that quote. You've got to be the change that you want to see in the world strong feelings never change the world weak people do in the strength of our god should we pray Lord there's going to be times again when we, we come to this moment this wake up moment and we're going to be confronted by an evil a big question it could be a personal thing in our own life it could be somebody close to us that we love or it could be somebody far away that we don't know that we've just heard about something terrible happening to and we're going to come with this question and, and I pray that in that moment when we start to question you Lord that you will speak to our hearts revelation about you how you are good and you're doing good you've always been good and Lord how you want us to work with you and for you during the time we have left in this field of the world until the day Lord when when you change it when you fully redeem it when you bring it back when you return again as we sung earlier in glory to judge the living and the dead Lord we pray that you we may be found in you in your love, in your grace. When we stand before you on that day, Lord, some of us, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be amazed. We're going to be amazed. Some people we're going to think we're definitely wheat. I'm going to found out to be weeds. And some of us, Lord, that other people might have said, oh, they're, they're like the weeds. They're going to be, by your grace, transformed into that wheat. Lord, we pray for um, us not to judge anything before it's time, but to wait for you. And while we're waiting, to serve you and love others with the love that we ourselves have received. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.